Welcome to a new mini-series for this week that we are calling The Daily Meditation, where we take biblical accounts and meditate on how they relate to specific topics we cover on the podcast. Today, Chris will be meditating on Asaph in Psalm 73 and how that relates to FOMO. What we're going to do today is actually a little bit different. This is not a narrative like some of the stories that we've gone through earlier this week. We're actually going to read a psalm, which is a first-person experience of a man named Asaph in dealing with FOMO. So this is found in Psalm 73, and we're just going to walk right through this psalm. And uh, I think it tells us a lot about FOMO, about our experience with FOMO, and just uh, ways that we should address it. So Psalm 73, truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So in these first three verses, Asaph, who was a psalm writer, he wrote several of the psalms that we have in the book of Psalms, he starts with this statement of faith, statement that God is good to Israel. He doesn't approach this issue of FOMO from a place of doubt, but a place of faith. But then in verse 2, he introduces his struggle he says that his feet almost stumbled. He had nearly slipped. Um, so this is his experience coming out of a trial. This was written not as he was enduring the trial, but after he had gone through it. And in verse 3, we find out that the challenge for him was this doubt that lines up with what we've been calling on this podcast FOMO or the fear of missing out. Because he says in verse 3, he was envious of the boastful and he saw the prosperity of the wicked. So in other words, he was looking at sinners, he was looking at ungodly people and seeing their prosperity, and he was wondering, do the wicked get the good life? And if you guys remember back to when we had the group discussion on FOMO, this is that existential FOMO that we were talking about. It's this experience that, um, this belief that as a believer, did I make the wrong decision? Was I actually better off living for myself, doing what I want do unbelievers actually have it better than I do? Was I wrong about this whole following Jesus thing? And so in these next few verses, he's going to list some evidence or some observations for why he feels this way. He says that there are no pangs in there, speaking of the wicked's death. Their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Now, keep in mind, this is just his impression. This is obviously not reality. The wicked go through trials just like the righteous do. But from his vantage point, he's seeing it seems like the wicked are all just prospering. They're all doing well. And he fears that he's missing out on this good life because he's decided to follow the Lord. Now, in these next few verses, he's going to continue to describe them. And there's going to be this theme of pride and violence leading to abundance. So notice this. He says, therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than the heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. So we see this theme. He talks about their pride and their violence, that these are proud people. They're boastful. And not just that, but they're violent. They oppress the poor. Their abundance is not just 
neutrally gotten. It's not just that they happen to be wealthy. They actually sinned and committed acts of evil and violence in order to gain their wealth. But the end result hasn't been punishment. It hasn't been judgment in Asaph's eyes. It's been abundance. And he's wondering, how is this possible? Why is this happening? And once again, am I missing out? Was I better off being a violent oppressor? And then he adds to it, verse 11, it says, and they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? There's this arrogance to them that not only are they wickedly gaining wealth, but they're almost challenging God to do something about it. They're saying, God, do you see what we're doing? Do you even care? They're arrogant. They're not afraid of God. They're not wondering if this is all going to catch up to them. They feel good about this. They seem to be cheating God. He says in verse 12, Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. And then he says, Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. Once again, that existential FOMO. He's saying, I have spent my life trying to pursue the Lord. I have tried my best to live a holy and pure life. But he's saying, I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence that This was not worth it. At least that's the conclusion he's coming to now, that I would have been better off just pursuing my heart's desires, pursuing worldly pleasures, pursuing worldly things, and I could have been like these wicked people who are prospering, who have no problems, who have no issues. And he says, for all the day long, verse 14, I have been plagued and chastened every morning. So it's not even just that the wicked are prospering, but things are okay for him. He's saying Not only are the wicked prospering, but the righteous are suffering. He's being plagued. He's being chastened. So it really now doubly seems unfair and unworth it to be following the Lord because unlike these wicked people who have this amazing life, I'm suffering. My life is terrible. And he says, verse 15, But if I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. So he's realizing, okay, This is not reality. This is just my impression of what's going on. And these next two verses are the turning point for the whole chapter, for the whole reflection. He says, When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. So he's struggling. He's trying to understand it. He's bringing this before the Lord, and he's bringing it before the Lord in faith. You know, uh, we can come to the Lord in our doubts from a perspective of faith or from a perspective of putting God on trial, putting God in our judgment seat, us standing as judges over God. And that's not what Asaph is doing here. Asaph is saying, remember, this all started with truly God is good to Israel, to such who are pure in heart. He's coming from a perspective of, God, these are the things I know to be true about you, but it doesn't make sense with what I'm seeing in this world today. And so he says, this was too painful for me. I couldn't understand it. But the turning point, until I went to the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their end. Their end, of course, being viewing their lives and also the lives of the righteous in view of eternity. Before this point, he had been viewing everything from a worldly, temporal standpoint. But once he begins to view things in light of eternity, everything changes. So he says, verse 18, "'Surely you set them in slippery places.'" You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so, Lord, when you awake, 
you shall despise their image. These wicked people, they don't experience lasting prosperity. The things that they make it seem like you're missing out on are an illusion. That was true in Asaph's life, and it's true today. Whether it's, you know, celebrities, whether it's, you know, world leaders, whoever it might be, people who are wicked, who are sinful, and who seem to be prospering, the key word there is seem. And we know that that prosperity is an illusion. And it might, from an earthly standpoint, be reality. They might have other things that are unseen that they struggle with we don't know about. They might not. They might, from a completely earthly perspective, be doing really well. But that prosperity doesn't last. If it lasts throughout this life, it doesn't carry over into the next. And that's the conclusion that Asaph came to. Verse 21 says, Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. And he here is realizing the folly of FOMO, the mistake he had made, that this was a faith issue. And so he is repenting here of FOMO. He's saying, I was wrong to be envious, to be desirous of the wicked. That this wasn't just a, oh, I realized that I was misthinking. No, this is something he needed to repent of. But then that repentance goes right into worship. He says in 23, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. These are the things he did not miss out on. Continually being with the Lord, being held at his right hand, guidance with God's counsel, and being received into glory. Uh, No matter what we might miss out on here on earth, for the believer, those are four things we will never miss out on. God's presence, his protection, his guidance, and his glory. And now just he breaks out into total worship, verses 25 and 26, very famous. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The things that we quote unquote miss out on can't be compared to knowing the Lord. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's none on earth that I desire besides you. In the New Testament, Jesus would say, what would it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world but lose his soul? That even all the riches and prosperity in the world are nothing compared with knowing the Lord, being in relationship with him. There's nothing that we can fear missing out on that would actually be better than that. And he says, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever, that he in and of himself is weak but God is enough, and he's not going to miss out on that. Then his conclusion, verses 27 to 28, For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. Uh, Once again, in the New Testament, we would say the wages of sin is death, that those wicked who seem to be prospering will be judged for what they do. But he says, But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all your works. So these are our three responses to FOMO in this last verse. He says, it's good for me. This is his response, what I should do to, number one, draw near to the Lord. Number two, put our trust in the Lord God. And number three, declare all your works. And that's really what will get us over FOMO. Whether it is, you know, the one we've been talking about now, that existential Did I miss out by following the Lord? Should I have gone the other way? Should I have followed earthly pursuits? Am I wrong about this Christian thing? 
or your specific FOMO, your fear of missing out on a career, on relationships, marriage, uh, whatever it might be, traveling, the good life. These are our antidotes, if you will. Our solutions are drawing near to God, because as we spend time in his presence, we realize that these things we think we're missing out on are nothing compared to him. Trusting in the Lord God, hey, it might be tough to go through life without that career, without traveling, without marriage, whatever it is. But in the end, I have to place my trust in the Lord that he has my best interest in heart and that I will not miss out on ultimate fullness, which is knowing him. And then declaring all your works as we praise God, as we worship him for the things he's doing, our mind is no longer on the things that we're missing out on. It's on the things that we do get to experience. Our mind is on the joy and the fullness of knowing God. So I hope that was encouraging just going through these reflections as Asaph, a wonderful brother in the Lord, experienced FOMO and just experienced God's goodness and Uh, learned more about him through that experience. Hopefully that's something that encourages you guys. So we'll see you again tomorrow.